Hello and welcome to Parley, the Hindu's weekly podcast discussing current topics of relevance. I'm PJ George, your host for today. Disinformation or fake news in common parlance is a malady that has been worsened by the infodemic of the social media age. In the last few years, it has been used as an effective weapon to polarize communities and upset democratic processes. It has sown mistrust of traditional media and used the algorithms of new age media to perpetuate itself. Now, as we start off 2021, what is the current state of this malady? Here to discuss these are two people who have studied this phenomenon extensively. I welcome Pratik Sinha, co-founder of the fact-checking site Alt News. Thank you. And Rasmus Kleis Nielsen, director of the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism at the University of Oxford. Thanks very much for having us. The modes and means of disinformation have been perpetually evolving. Even in this new wave of the last few years, it has tried out new mediums and have had new perpetrators and beneficiaries. So what is the state of misinformation as we go into this new year? Who are its current perpetrators and beneficiaries? Uh, Pratik, uh, if you can take it particularly from the India perspective, it would be great. Go ahead, Pratik. So uh, from the Indian perspective, um, actually the state of misinformation in India is not evolving in terms of quality, but it is evolving in terms of quantity. And the realization on part of political parties that misinformation is a great tool to form political narratives. What um, Altnew started in 2017, and back then we used to debunk a few stories uh, every week, maybe five, six stories every every week. We all we were also a small team, but but the amount of misinformation was not much. But the nature of misinformation was the same as it it is today. What was the nature of misinformation? That uh, primarily old videos and old images, which are used to represent something in the present. That is one of the main strategies that is adopted by those who create disinformation. Take take a video or image which is three, four years old, especially if it has an element of violence, and use that in the present, claiming that this is what represents something which is happening presently. Uh, and especially for things which have been highly politicized. In 2020 in India, we saw major civil rights movements like the anti-CA protests, farmer protests. Uh, 2019, we saw the elections. And uh, then we saw Delhi riots in 2020, which uh, again had a lot of misinformation. So in and then we saw the pandemic, which was unfortunately communalized in India, and the Muslim community was targeted as part of that. And in all of these uh, issues, we saw massive spikes of information. But the the kind of misinformation which was perpetrated was pretty simple. It is not that difficult to debunk it. It's just the quality and the organized manner in which it is produced. Every single day, multiple f- false claims using photos, images, and text. So uh, going forward, I don't think um, you know this is going to change much. It is uh, This organization is just going to keep increasing uh, because people, Political parties have found out that uh, that if you put out organized misinformation, then any political narrative can be controlled. And and at the same point in time, even even though India has uh, somewhat of a federal structure, the 
parties which are being targeted are not doing anything about it. They are not introducing any educational reform or anything so that people can be more aware. So what we are going to see going forward is just a lot more misinformation, rudimentary misinformation, but a lot of people consuming this day in and day out and forming their political opinion based on this misinformation. Okay. Uh, thanks, Pratik, for that view. Uh, Rasmus, what is your take on it? How are you looking at it in 2021? I think Pratik uh, d- described very clearly the basic dynamics of disinformation in many countries. Uh, it's very visible in India, but we also see similar patterns in the United States and Brazil uh, and a number of other countries. And I think it's important to recognize that while the tactics and forms and particular communities involved in uh, creating and disseminating disinformation evolve over time, I think by now we have a very clear sense of what the basic dynamics are. I think of it as sort of the four Ps. You have disinformation that is spread and created in the pursuit of power. It often comes from the political establishment, sometimes from the governing party, sometimes from the opposition, but from actors that are directly involved uh, in the political system. Then you have disinformation that's spread for profit. Um, this is sort of, most of it is sort of low-grade clickbait, um, but of course this is a motive as well, and we see that in some countries, though I think the political nature of much disinformation is probably the most important one. Then you have uh, disinformation that's driven by often profound public disagreement over issues of value and fact. This is sort of bottom-up disinformation where people, for reasons that they think of as in good faith, spread information that others think of as disinformation. We see this around vaccines, we see it around climate change, we see it around um, communal relations uh, in countries such as India. And the final and fourth P, of course, is that all of this is enabled by platform companies, um, uh, most importantly the biggest ones. So, of course, Facebook uh, and WhatsApp, the Google-owned YouTube, but also smaller ones like Twitter uh, and others, uh, all enable um, the creation and spread of disinformation in ways that are uh, that set us apart from where we were before the advent um, of, of digital media. And these four Ps of power, profit, profound public disagreement, and platforms, I think, will continue to define disinformation in 2021. Then there are some things that are changing. Uh, there is a bit of an arms race um, between um, those who sort of spread this information and then those who try to contain or reduce the reach of it. Some of it is about how many of these information actors have embraced formats that are harder to um, fact check and harder to moderate, whether based on human moderation or automated forms of moderation, such as, for example, the video monologue, uh, uh, for that matter, audio, um, to some extent, sort of newsletters and other private forms of communication, also in messaging applications, of course, which are harder to access and more time-consuming to um, to screen and, and, and often hard to screen in automated fashions compared to text and still images. And then I think we're also seeing that, at least for those disinformation actors, that um, platforms have been, on rare occasions, willing to go after very aggressively and really try to contain, such as we've seen with some of the anti-vax communities and also some particularly pernicious forms of hate speech and political disinformation, uh, that we are seeing the migration, the partial migration away from the large uh, consumer-facing platforms to smaller and more specialized platforms. 
where the disinformation actors often maintain a presence on the larger platforms, but do it in a way that is carefully calibrated to not fall uh, afoul of the um, content moderation policies of the platform in question. And then they reserve the truly atrocious stuff um, for other platforms, whether those are um, end-to-end encrypted messaging applications or, for that matter, chat functions in online gaming platforms or newsletters or podcasts or any number of other platforms where, at this stage, we don't have um, the same amount of effort or resource uh, to try to combat disinformation. As with their many limitations, some of the bigger platform companies have committed to this uh, issue. Okay, so I uh, hear that both of you uh, see this going forward in some form or the other in 2021, whether it is the four Ps that uh, Rasus mentioned or uh, the quality, uh, the quantity going up, as uh, uh, Pratik said. Let's uh, go to the the other side of the uh, coin in the next question. Uh, Steve Bannon's The Media is the Real Enemy has sort of become the guiding philosophy for misinformance, and mainstream media has often floundered in its response to misinformation. So how are the gatekeepers faring now? Do you think the traditional media has improved its game or are going around in circles when it comes to uh, misinformation? Uh, Rasmus, why don't you take this first? I think it's a complicated one. I mean, I would say that I think there are important examples of progress. I think the fact-checking community that Pratik is such a prominent uh, um, uh, representative of has really evolved in really impressive and important ways over time. We see this uh, in India with uh, a number of of fact-checking organizations, but also globally organizations like Maldita in Spain and others that are doing really pioneering work, full fact in the UK and others. So I think there is really important innovation going on in the fact-checking community and, and work that we should all be very grateful for, as controversial as it often is, in particular when they fact-check powerful and prominent individuals who seem keen that others' disinformation should be countered, but not their own, um, which of course is never uh, recognized as such by the people in question. In terms of uh, news publishers and, and journalism, I think we have seen um, some recognition of two um, problems that have plagued the way in which news organizations have dealt with disinformation historically. Uh, One of them being that um, a very fundamental driver of disinformation is powerful people who lie and who have um, weaponized the journalistic convention of quoting powerful people verbatim, even if what they say is untrue, um, and often using those statements in headlines and the like, uh, and only presenting any fact-checking and debunking much later in an article in parts that many readers never get to. So that's one problem. I think we've seen some news organizations, uh, most prominently perhaps in the United States, showing a greater willingness to have headlines uh, that run along the course of um, so-and-so have falsely claimed without evidence that this and this is is the case, which is a much better way of the sort of old style of sort of so-and-so, colon, and then a quote, even if that quote is false, and even if that is recognized as false in the article itself. This, I think, has put a damper on what Claire Wardle from First Draft calls the trumpet of amplification, the uncomfortable fact that many pieces of disinformation often reach their widest public reach um, when they are covered by the news media. 
uh, who inadvertently risk giving uh, the oxygen of amplification um, uh, to to these false and misleading claims uh, from, in particular, from prominent politicians. I think we've seen some recognition of that. Um, I would sort of caution against um, any uh, exuberant optimism. Uh, I, I think we have to recognize that in most of the world, um, news organizations may be more willing to publicly confront powerful politicians as lying and making false claims when they are about to lose elections or have lost elections than if they are stable and in power. And many news organizations have no appetite at all uh, for this kind of direct confrontation that we've seen some of in the very end of the Trump administration in the United States. Uh, but of course, we had um, almost four years before with very little willingness uh, to use terms like false or lies um, about the claims made by the president, even as they continue to be made with alarming frequency. I think the other uh, sort of area we see is, uh, again, I think some progress in, in, in terms of journalists re making really important and I think very hard, I want to recognize that, case-by-case -case decisions about when do you cover um, disinformation narratives that are potentially harmful when they have quite limited circulation. What's the balance between the moment where you cover them because it's important for the rest of the public to know that some people claim this and it's false and harmful versus the risk that by virtue of covering it, you in fact bring it to people's attention. So you can take, for example, um, the various false conspiracy theories that have flourished around 5G. Um, you know, Our research has suggested that very, very few people, a tiny minority, 1% or 2% in the UK, put any credence into these theories, um, and yet they have received quite widespread uh, media coverage and have been brought to the attention of much, much wider parts of the public. And I think there is sometimes a risk that coverage like that, while well-intentioned and important, can carry the risk of actually amplifying the misinformation and bringing people uh, who are unsure uh, into contact with communities um, that are spreading false and misleading information. So I have to say, I think the jury is out. I think we're seeing very real progress in the fact-checking community. I think we're seeing some progress of some media organizations um, in terms of their um, courage to stand up to powerful people who lie and their judgment in terms of when they cover or, uh, stories and narratives um, that, that may ultimately be in, in circulation only in very small communities. Um, but I do have to say, I think that uh, much of the news media and much of the journalistic profession still struggle really to deal with disinformation, at least beyond the very fundamental role, of course, that independent professional journalism and news media play, which is that they increase our resilience to disinformation by providing us with accurate and trustworthy information. In that sense, I think journalism remains one of our most important, at least where it's practiced professionally and independently, one of our most important bulwarks um, against this flood disinformation that we see online in particular. Uh, thanks, Rasmus. I would like to turn that question to you, Pratik. But before, I would like to add on something uh, as well. Uh, the first uh, first uh, thing that I want to uh, ask is the main question itself. Uh, you came in, you and Alt News came in as a uh, to fill a gap uh, where mainstream media was falling short in, in uh, the verification part of this. Uh, so how, how do you see the mainstream media now? And the other part is what uh, Rasmus was speaking about, uh, about the amplification by verification. How do you deal with that? So these parts, uh, these two aspects, if you could look into in the next uh, 
ていう話です。So in India things are very different.、Um, I've been following the U.S. elections very closely, and、uh, the manner in which、uh, President Trump is has been called out. Uh, uh, in terms of the misinformation that he puts out every single day, and you know he's been fact-checked, and、uh, as、uh, correctly pointed out by Rasmus, you know even in the headline they state that this is a false claim.、Yeah. And Washington Post is, I think, running a running post on fact-checks,、uh, you know, fact-checking Trump. I think New York Times has done a lot of fact-checking. A lot of these news organizations in the U.S. have fact-checked、uh, uh, Trump a lot in India. Uh, firstly, if, you know there are two kinds of、uh, false claims. False claims that come directly from politicians, and the other bit is、um, organized misinformation on social media, which need not necessarily come from politicians, but is put out in these enormous network of WhatsApp groups that we have in India. So, if you talk about、uh, the politicians themselves,、uh, Mr. Narendra Modi and Mr. Amit Shah have hardly been fact-checked by. Any news organizations, there have been few fact checks, and definitely not outright fact check. At one point in time, I think ABP News, one of the channels, tried to fact check, and three of their anchors were asked to leave, and the advertisements were,、uh, you know, withdrawn. So, it, I think India has a different democratic situation right now than many other countries, and it is tending towards authoritarianism. So. Uh, mainstream media is definitely not doing its job of fact-checking politicians. So that is,、uh, you know, when it comes comes to misinformation from politicians,、um, when it comes to misinformation, organized misinformation on social media, again,、uh, mainstream media in India has acknowledged the is- issue of misinformation, but not many news organizations are actually fact-checking. In fact, neither Hindu, for example, nor Indian Express on、uh, Uh, have anything like a fact check column where where they are fact checking social media claims.、Um, Times of India has one, but it is a very partisan one.、Um, there is also India Today, etc., who have recognized that、uh, there is a need for fact checking. But again,、um, we recently did an article as to how they don't fact check the the main spokesperson of BJP, nor do they fact check the. Uh, the the IT cell head Amit Mavia. So even if mainstream media is doing some fact checking,、uh, it's mostly just a show. You know, it is does、uh, not actually looking at the most、uh, dangerous claims, political claims that are being put out. And especially in India, there is a the main purpose of misinformation is to target the minorities. And there's very little fact checking that has been done to actually. Reduce that harm. Reduce the harm that you know the the minorities are being attacked. But India has another problem. It is not only that mainstream media is not fact checking people;、um, they are actually putting out misinformation.、Uh, there, there is so much misinformation that comes out from mainstream media. If if not misinformation, these are plugs. They are plugs by the government. You know, government claims something like. In the most recent case,、uh, it was claimed by government that arsenicum album thirty, which is a homeopathic drug, it can act as a prophylactic drug, and can, you know, can prevent people from having COVID. And so many organizations put out that claim. Then one prominent person, Mr. Baba Ramdev, he put out he claimed that he has 
found a drug which is a cure, Coronil. And so many mainstream media organizations gave him unlimited bandwidth to put out his claims, not fact-checking any of his claims, while none of them, uh, you know, none of them were true. And in fact, in UK, they have recently fined certain, uh, I think, outlets for 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 uh, advertising Coronil as a as a cure for for COVID. So. Uh, not only is the mainstream media not doing its job in India, it is making the job of fact checkers much, much more difficult. Uh, there are very prominent anchors who, who are already putting out vaccine-related misinformation. Recently, we fact-checked a very prominent anchor who claimed that a certain vaccine in India has been pre-booked by 190 countries, 2 billion doses of that vaccine, while it was a completely false claim. And this anchor has over 7 million followers on Twitter. So, so fact-checking in India is, I'm sure it is similar in other South Asian countries like Pakistan, Bangladesh, and I'm, I'm not trying to compare here, but definitely what I've observed when, when, you know, when you compare what's happening in the U.S. and how, uh, how things are being fact-checked and how platforms are being uh, sort of made responsible. Like just yesterday, you had the Georgia runoff election and, uh, you know the fast the platforms are on there too. At least there are many activists and journalists who are keeping the platforms on there too. There's some amount they're at least being forced to do something. In India, we have states which have electorate sizes which are much larger than Georgia, and the platforms do absolutely nothing because nobody is putting pressure on them. And of course, it is you know uh, the ruling party is not going to do anything because it it goes in their favor. It goes in favor of BJP if if the misinformation and hate speech on these platforms go unchecked. In the U.S., uh, I have seen multiple times when repeat offenders like Alex Jones of the of the kind, they get deplatformed, you know. Uh, but in India, there's hardly any people who, who get deplatformed despite them having, a, you know, a constant history of putting out hate speech and misinformation. So in India, it is it is completely different. Uh, there are on, I would say that there are only... Uh, besides all things, I think Boom Live is doing good work, but there's not many people who are actually doing effective work when it comes to fact checking, and there is a huge gap that needs to be filled. Um, I would I would like to take this a step forward that you know over the last three and a half years, what we have realized is that fact checking in a journalistic format is is important and it raises awareness about the issue. And I think when Altius came in 2017 and, uh, you know, Altius and Boomlai became prominent in 2017, um, uh, we raised this issue that, look, there's so much misinformation. And eventually it was acknowledged that there's so much misinformation. But if we're trying to look at, uh, you know, solutions, then we have to look at educational reforms. And there's literally nothing that is being done in India regarding that. So that is also a very important issue that that never gets addressed. George, if I can just uh, supplement what Pratik said, because I think there are some really important points here that, that are exceptionally clear in India, as Pratik very clearly uh, outlined. Um, but I want to stress that this is one of the areas where I think the rest of the world needs to sort of recognize this and learn from the experience uh, in India and think about what could be done differently. Um, I mean, it is clear that, um, you know, established news organizations uh, – mostly inadvertently, but not also always so, uh, are one of the main vectors um, through which disinformation and misinformation spreads. Um, and we can see this, I think, qu 
quite clearly, even in the case of the United States, where there has been uh, much more scrutiny of these issues and much more self-reflection in the journalistic community than perhaps in some other places. If we look at the uh, Washington Post database um, of uh, fact-checked false claims by President Trump that Pratik mentioned, uh, it's, I think, quite important to recognize that there are more statements there that are sourced from news conferences or interviews the president has given to the media than there are from Twitter. Many more. Uh, and it's clear that platforms, as I said at the outset, are absolutely a key and integral part of the disinformation problems that we face and have a lot of responsibility. And as Pratik said, uh, I think responsibilities, we can safely say that they are not shouldering to the same extent in many poor countries as they are in rich countries, where they have more at stake financially and where they are often under more political pressure uh, to up their game in this stage. Um, but it is clear um, that, that news media also have inadvertently and, and sometimes less so been part of, of, of these problems. And I think it, it also points, if you will, to one of the sort of challenges that I think we'll have to think about as we move forward, which is that, you know, fact checkers have limited resources uh, and, you know, they need to make choices about where they feel those choice, their, those resources can make the biggest difference. And I'm not criticizing the way in which those decisions have been made. I think fact checkers are doing really important uh, and valuable work. But I will note um, that in most countries that I know of, fact checkers do not fact check news media. Uh, and I think that's a quite an interesting and 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 perhaps problematic omission. Um, I think in the U.S., Politifact uh, has done about a thousand fact checks of President Trump. They've done two of Fox News. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't strike me uh, that that there has only been two things worth checking on Fox News in the in the last decade or so. Um, from a fact checking point of view, and I think there is a question about whether some increased sort of professional self scrutiny might be an important part um, of how uh, we move forward in terms of dealing specifically with the role that some journalists and some news media some of the time play in spreading and amplifying disinformation. Um, yeah, and I would like to add that in India especially, again, most of the fact-checkers don't fact-check uh, news media for various reasons, but uh, at least a couple of us like Alt News and Boom Live, we have fact-checked Alt News definitely, I think, has fact-checked the maximum number of uh, <clears throat> a lot of TV media, especially because there's so much misinformation that is put out by TV media. And we possibly have a couple of stories every week about how um, how TV media is putting out misinformation. There's another issue here is that of, um, uh, you know, organizations equivalent of Reuters in India, the news agencies. And when news agencies put out misinformation in India, it is repeated across multiple platforms and they are auto-published across multiple platforms. So that is also has become a vector of misinformation. Uh, the ANI, INS, PTI have put out stories which, you know, which are auto-published without any fact-checking. Um, and I do understand that people can get, you know, people, you know, organizations can get things wrong, but but just because a new news agency has put out a story does not mean that it has to be auto-published across all media platforms. And that has also become a major vector of misinformation in the past couple of years. Thanks, uh, Pradeek uh, Rasmus. Uh, in this answer itself, I think we dealt uh, uh, with uh, what I wanted to get into next, that is the platforms. So platforms such as Facebook, Google, and uh, Twitter, and YouTube have amplified misinformation with the algorithms that prioritize engagement and revenue. 
They have, of course, spoken much about their action plans for dealing with misinformation and they have uh, done uh, some of it. Uh, Twitter and some of the platforms have been proactive in pointing out misinformation. Uh, but to a great extent, they still end up acting in their own self-interest. Do you see 2021 being any different on this front? Pratik, why don't you go ahead on this? Um, from point of view of India, I don't think it is going to be much different. Uh, at least there's nothing that is there on the horizon. Uh, firstly, I would like to point out the issues that, that are there with the platform and how they are failing. Now, as I said, one of the most common form of misinformation in India is old images and old videos. Okay. Now, platforms claim that they don't want to be the arbiters of truth. And yes, we don't want them to be the arbiters of truth. But uh, it takes very little technological work, you know, especially when they have billions and billions of dollars in the kitty. You know, during a pandemic, they are introducing emojis, you know, the hug emoji and things like that. They have, but uh, something which is very basic, that is having a database of images, you know, and technologically showing, and this I am saying from a point of view of a software engineer, because this is what, you know, we have, we have, in sort of develop similar technology for the alt news app that is having the database of images which is dated you know this image is approximately this date this image is approximately this date this video is this date this video is this date and then whenever that image or video comes up on social media uh, then tell the user that look this image is of 2017 now there's no you know there's no question of here platform deciding what is the truth or not one of the this major vector of misinformation can be controlled if platforms are willing to, to do that extra mile. And, uh, you know, not every issue can be solved. I, I completely understand that misinformation is a huge issue, but there are baby steps that can be taken, which will have uh, an enormous impact. So um, uh, I feel that, uh, that, you know, the way, for example, Facebook does fact-checking, that is having uh, completely human fact-checkers. And yes, human fact-checking is important. Most, a lot of stories cannot be fact-checked uh, unless they are human fact-checkers. But but they have such a manual process for, for this whole thing. I mean, recently I appeared before the Delhi Assembly um, uh, on the issue of whether whether Facebook can be held responsible for for things, you know, for hate speech in Delhi riots and etc. And I pointed out that even if Facebook fact checkers are fact checking a certain video or image, they go and label, you know, a few posts. A large majority of posts go unlabeled because it is a completely manual process. It's a completely human oriented process. And even if they are using some technology, minimal amount of technology, they are not doing it effectively. So, from a technological point of view, there's so much more that can be done by these social media platforms that they are not doing and they're not willing to do to the point that I have, you know, when I've had audience in some of these platforms, I've suggested that, you know, bring us in. We are the people who, you know, uh, we are the people who are bridging journalism and technology. Uh, you know, in alt news, both the founders are from a technological background, and there are so many other people who are who are bridging technology and journalism and have certain ideas as to how to deal with these issues. But uh, but uh, you know, all our requests of involving uh, us in the product design has you know gone to deaf ears. So so. Uh, 
firstly, the problem is that a lot that can be solved with the billions of dollars uh, from a technological standpoint, that is not being solved. And I don't see any of that changing in 2021. Um, secondly, uh, uh, a lot of their decisions are are not well thought of. You know, they are constantly reacting to situation. There does not seem to be any plan. For example, Twitter bringing this thing where you, know, you have to click twice to retweet or Facebook con- consist- continuously changing their policies as the U.S. elections were going on. Everybody knew, everybody could, could expect, knew what was going to happen. And yet they none of these organizations or platforms had a coherent policy uh, when it comes to misinformation. The other thing that uh, I think Rasmus did point out uh, briefly and the problem that is going to go for happen going going forward is uh, monetization of videos with more and more people putting out you know having youtube channels and facebook videos and making money out of it they are creating these videos which are 10 minutes 20 minutes sometimes 30 minutes long and they are live videos which go on for five hours six hours recently when an actor sushant singh rajput died there were youtube live videos discussing conspiracy theories which went on for five six hours now for fact checkers, it becomes impossible to watch so much content. You know, no one has the resources to sit and watch five, six hours, even 10 minutes of video. How many 10 minutes of video are you going to watch? For example, if you just type arsenicum album on uh, on on YouTube or you type any other drug which has been claimed to, you know, solve a particular issue, which actually doesn't, and you see tons and tons of videos. Now, as a fact checker, we have to point out from 30, you know, from 45th second in this video to the 90th second, this claim is being made. We cannot point that out unless we actually listen to the video. And sometimes the claim is probably in the sixth minute. So going forward with so many videos coming in, uh, unless they give us the API, you know, for example, YouTube has a closed captioning API. Again, we were on a call on YouTube and we said, give us access to your to your closed captioning API, you're generating automatic APIs. If we can use that API to search for misinformation, you know, where is misinformation being put out, then it'll make our jobs much more easier. But again, we did not get a response from them. So my primary issue is that, you know, as a as a software engineer, I can see technology, so, you know, te- technology can be used in so many ways to alleviate misinformation. I'm not saying that it is going to go away, but it can alleviate the issue and it is not being used. And I don't see that changing. And other than that, the political pressure, etc. In India, you know, we have seen stories from Wall Street Journal, etc. Time Magazine, where we have seen that uh, there is partisan leadership. And uh, that is not by chance. Uh, that is very much intended because... In India, at this point in time, uh, even though we talk about ease of business, uh, it is well known that ease of business is for the friends of the government. And unless you're a friend of the government, it is difficult to do business in India. So uh, so especially for companies which are as big as Facebook, Twitter and Google. Uh, so uh, I don't really see much happening on in that sphere when it comes to India. Thanks, Pradeek. What's your take on this, uh, Rasmus? These platforms have been trying to find technological solutions for journalistic problems for a long time. Do you think uh, that is finally going to happen in 2021 or do you have a different take on this? No, I mean, I, I, 
I mean, I agree with Pratik that there, you know, technology has a lot of potential um, and can demonstrably help both fact checkers and journalists and also platforms uh, deal with these problems. Um, but at a very fundamental level, there are key parts of these problems that are political and social in nature, and there is no technological solution uh, to those problems. Um, you know, th those are political and social problems that require political and social responses. Um, I suppose the way I think about this is that there are some areas in which it's clear that different platform companies can do more. Um, and, you know, we can just a simple issue here is that, you know, several of these companies have taken major initiatives around the U.S. elections in 2020. Um, and if you are a user in India, you would have every right to ask, well, if the American users are important enough to benefit from these additional initiatives, am I equally important or am I, second, uh, am I a second-class user? And I think the companies have some uh, tough questions to, to answer in terms of how they treat users in much of the world. Um, then there are a second set of issues that are not so much necessarily about doing more, but about doing, doing things differently. Um, and I think here it's important to recognize that, you know, we talk about the platforms as a sort of a you know, a coherent industry, Silicon Valley and all of that. But I think it's important to recognize that different companies operate in different ways and also have taken quite different positions on some of these issues, uh, even sometimes different parts of the same company. I mean, witness uh, the way in which YouTube took a very different line um, on disputed and false claims about the election from Google search, for example, um, or for that matter, the difference between uh, on the one hand, YouTube, uh, and on the other hand, Facebook, in terms of uh, of their of the willingness to to engage in, around the U.S. Uh, election, so th there are there are real differences between the companies here, and I I think we have to be honest and recognize. I don't think there is a single sort of factually correct response that will command consensual support from all quarters. Um, you know, people disagree uh, on. Um, on what the right approach is to some of this stuff. And I think that's been very visible around the U.S. election. Uh, you've had one uh, side of this debate where a lot of people, myself included, have been essentially sort of trying to argue that there are many more things that the companies could do to counter disinformation and misinformation should they wish to. Um, and of course, in the United States also, many politicians, uh, Democrats in particular, who have made similar arguments but at the very same time, um, there are others who are growing increasingly uncomfortable with the increasingly interventionist stance that the companies are taking. And of course, very centrally, uh, very prominent politicians, first and foremost President Trump, um, have uh, alleged, uh, without providing any evidence, uh, so uh, falsely for all we know, that the companies are biased, that they are censoring, that they're repressing speech in ways that have a political uh, bias. Um, so I think we just need to recognize, too, that while the platforms are private companies, um, and, and effectively because some of them are so commercially successful, they would like to sort of diffuse the tension around these issues and treat them as sort of technical problems. These are profoundly political problems, and we don't agree on what the right response is. Um, and there are some people who argue that they should do more, but there are also people who are very angry about what they are already doing and want them to do less. Um, or at least do less uh, when they happen to be the ones spreading uh, disinformation. And then finally, I, I wanted to just also note again that I think it's important and right that we discuss what the largest and most prominent consumer-facing platform companies, uh, Facebook and Google, uh, most prominently, and also you know Twitter, 
what they do in this space. But I, I do think it's also important that we think about the role of other platform companies. I think it's quite interesting to think that Amazon, which is a, such a central player in many parts of the world around book distribution, for example, and self-publishing, and also increasingly audio, um, has been largely absent from these discussions. Uh, and that there is, I think, often... Um, not a lot of sort of interest in in whether some of the smaller platforms, whether they are Snapchat and TikTok and the like, uh, or others like Reddit than like, how they are dealing uh, with these issues. Um, the big platforms have a lot to answer for, and they have greater responsibilities and greater resources. Uh, but some of the big platforms are quite sort of invisible in this discussion, and there are smaller platforms. Uh, who are taking different stands in this. Some of them I have a lot of respect for, uh, Reddit in particular, uh, but there are also others that I think have uh, questions to answer and and really have to demonstrate that they have learned something from all the mistakes made um, and all the belated recognitions of the problems that we face uh, that have characterized earlier years of, uh, of these discussions. Thank you, Rasmus. Uh, now coming towards the end of our uh, discussion, I want to come to the other big thing that had dominated 2020 and is still dominating uh, 2021. It is the the pandemic and uh, the resultant chaos in the news media. While questioning science and questionable science have both been aspects of misinformation earlier also, the pandemic period saw an overabundance of it. There was misinformation around mask wearing, medicines, cures and vaccines. So where is the slip-up happening due to which established science such as vaccines are being called into question? And since even and this has such life and death consequences. So where is the system failing uh, in preventing misinformation around what are established facts? Uh, Rasmus, uh, can you approach this question first? Yeah, I mean... I, this is a hard one, um, I think. I mean, we, you know, science is, I, I would say this as a scientist, I suppose, arguably the single most powerful way we have of arriving at the best obtainable version of the truth. Um, um, and there are clearly examples of uh, misinformation, disinformation that is in direct um, uh conflict with the best available scientific evidence and the best available scientific consensus. Um, and when those forms of misinformation and disinformation are harmful, as they can be around vaccines or, or public health emergencies, or for that matter, climate change uh, um, and, and, and some other issues, it's a particularly, if you will, um, problematic form of disinformation and one where we actually are of rare instances where we have... Um, a ground truth that we can compare um, the claims against. Um, I, I, I think we need to recognize, though, even people like myself who are, you know, very proud of what science as an enterprise can accomplish, um, that um, in particular in a rapidly developing situation, um, research science by its very nature deals with uncertainty rather than certainty and often is characterized by at least as much controversy as consensus. And large and powerful institutions who make uh, decisions in part based on scientific input, um, you know, have to recognize that the scientific consensus and the scientific insights will evolve as we get new data and as uh, different analyses are being conducted and presented and sometimes overturn established findings. I mean, think of a situation uh, uh, like the early parts of the uh, of the pandemic. I mean, there were 
you know, very important uh, international health organizations uh, who have a very strong commitment to relying on scientific input and evidence, who made a number of claims um, about both the way in which the disease is transmitted as well as measures one can take to mitigate it that we now know are wrong. Um, I, I don't think we should blame them uh, for that. It's not obvious that they always could have known better at the time they made the claims, but I do think we need to recognize that um, there are some areas in which there is a clear scientific consensus and an established ground truth, but there are other areas in which this is less clear. Um, and while, again, you know, as a scientist, I would say this, uh, I think science is very powerful and I think science can, you know, help us in, in many of addressing many of the problems that we face as societies. I don't think uh, that science provides a panacea um, that uh, will provide sort of a uh, agreed upon consensus truth uh, that can we can use to dispel this information problems. Thanks, Rasmus. Uh, Pratik, what is your take on this? From from the Indian perspective, uh, I'll give a two-part answer. One is, you know, how journalism deals with science. Um, you know, because of all the cost cutting around journalism, there's hardly any science editors in any of the news organizations. I know Hindu has one, but most of the news organizations don't have a science team. There is no one who's trained to cover science who actually covers science in most of the news organizations in India. So that is, you know, the first gatekeeper in India itself fails because uh, uh, because news organizations treat science, you know, as press releases. Anybody puts out a press release, they dutifully put out that press release without actually examining the facts. So that is problem number one. That is the main gatekeepers of uh, of information in India, you know, who are putting, giving information to people. They themselves don't have people who are specialized in science to deal with it. Um, there are hardly any people in any of the major news organizations who probably have a PhD in India in, in science. I know, again, Hindu has one. So that is problem number one in India. Um, problem number two is, uh, uh, is, uh, is that none of us were actually, you know, none of us expected a pandemic and we were not ready for a pandemic. It is not just about... Uh, you know, the logistics, the health facilities, but also this information overflow. We were just not ready for a fact that, you know, during the time of a pandemic, we will have science that is constantly changing. You know, you know, for example, the mask protocol. WHO was giving different mask protocols as, as time went by. And even now, recently, we debunked a video where uh, people were circulating a mask protocol, which was an old mass protocol and not a recent mass protocol. Now, uh, none of us, you know, people at large were not ready that that in a pandemic there is going to be changing decisions uh, when it comes to science and, you know, protocols are going to change, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, none of this was expected and people were just not ready for it. So what happened was that uh, a lot of people started, again, you know, stating things in in mainstream media in India, which was which was not entirely accurate. The other thing that happened, uh, especially in India, is uh, the alternative science, the alternate alt med, you know, homeopathy and Ayurved. They thought of this as a very good chance to sort of uh, gain gain prominence, and the number of claims that were put out 
claiming to be if you if you go to any you know if you go to amazon and look for covid cures or if you know if you just google for covid cures ayurveda you'll see so many of these drugs which are claiming that they will give you immunity against covid and again uh so many people are buying these drugs but there is again no fact checking you know there is nobody who's who's questioning these people so in india we have a much more much bigger problem that 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 journalism you know the journalism industry as a whole is not equipped to deal with science um in all news we have dr sumashek who's a neuroscientist based in sweden and she's been debunking some of these uh, this more difficult claims for example day before yesterday she put out an entire thread on on bharat biotech bharat biotech and you know it's you know the the claims that bharat biotech is making and uh, how pib press release itself had misinformation now uh, now more and more people need to be doing that and that is not happening in india so unfortunately like everything else we are facing a much bigger problem not just because uh, you know we have what the rest of the world has but the problem is bigger because the journalism industry in india is not equipped for these things uh, thanks pratik uh, i think on that note we will have to come to a conclusion i think it uh, both of you have left uh, our listeners as well as our readers with much to think about on misinformation in uh, 2021 Thank you Rasmus thank you Pratik uh, for uh, joining us uh, it was a great experience and a great discussion thanks very much for having us thank you